Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello again, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, your place to dive in and explore some of the big issues facing us as Americans. And today, an issue that's bedeviled us, yes, and that's the right word, bedeviled us since our founding. And that is the complex relationship between religion and politics. What's the role of each? Is it possible to separate church and state? Are we, in fact, a Judeo-Christian nation? We explore that issue today with Rachel Lazar, who's president and CEO of a great organization, Americans United for the Separation of Church and State, whose primary purpose is to protect the freedom of religion and to protect the wall of separation between church and state. Rachel, it's good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you. I think when, uh, I know you've heard this before, when a lot of people hear the name Americans United for Separation of Church and State, they immediately think you must be atheist, anti-God, anti-religion. Yeah. Are you? No, no, not at all. Quite to the contrary. We're a group whose mission is to advance religious freedom for everyone, not just for some in this country. And what a lot of people don't realize about Americans United is when we were founded 73 years ago, we were founded by a bunch of Protestant clergy in Chicago, my hometown, um, but also involved was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Seventh-day Adventists, seminary presidents, and other very devout folks. So we, we have a very, we are rooted in a religious positive background. Yeah, a different day then, of course, when yes. AU, Americans United, was founded. Mm -hmm. So the central question people keep, people keep debating and have, I guess, from our founding, are, is the United States a Judeo-Christian nation? No, we are not a Judeo-Christian nation. If you look in the Constitution, there is not one utterance of God, and the only time that religion appears is three places. There's Article 6, which says there can't be a religious test for a public office, and then there are two religion clauses in the First Amendment in the first 16 words. One talks about the free exercise of religion, and the other is what we call the Establishment Clause, but it's really about the non-establishment of religion, but nowhere in the Constitution is any mention of Judeo-Christianity. And in fact, the Constitution is deliberately set up so that this country is welcoming and embracing of all different religions. And the government is never imposing any one religion on anyone or even religion over non-religion on others. And you think that's why the founders did not include the word God or the deity or whatever in the Constitution? I do. I do. I mean, if you look at um, what the founders were dedicated to, you can think about someone like, um, I can find actually a quote, um, 
So James Madison and Thomas Jefferson were the ones who were sort of responsible for putting the words into the First Amendment. But what's commonly thought of as a predecessor for the First Amendment is called the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to believe today that in Virginia, the most prosecuted crime was refusing to attend Anglican church services on a Sunday <laughs> when the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom was passed. And uh, Thomas Jefferson, who was the one who wrote the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom, has a wonderful quote where he talks about the, the aim of that statute. And he says its purpose was to protect, quote, the Jew and the Gentile, the Christian and Mohammedan, the Hindu and the infidel of every denomination. And if you just think about how radical that an idea that was for the year 1785, but yet that was the way our founding fathers and framers were thinking. So yes, he was talking about non-deistic religions. He was talking about infidels. He was talking about protecting the right of conscience of all Americans. For some people, that's a radical idea for 2019 yes, <laughs> that they're not willing to subscribe to. So what do you see as the proper role of religion and of government, which we've been trying to sort out since mm -hmm. the founding. So what we believe is the proper role of religion and government together is to keep them separate. Mm -hmm. So we don't pretend to define what the proper role is of religion, right? People have different relationships to religion. You know, we believe in freedom of conscience for everyone, the right to be religious, the right to be non-religious, the right to practice whatever religious belief you want, to change your religious beliefs over the course of your lifetime, to concoct your own spiritual brew, whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm. we're for freedom of conscience. But what we know is that what protects religion is to keep it separate from government, and what protects government is to keep it away from religion. And something that our founding fathers were aware of is the divisiveness, even the violence that springs forth when the government is embracing one religion and imposing it on people. And they wanted to prevent that from taking shape in America, that kind of violence even, bloodshed. And in fact, don't you find when the two mix, I mean, both are hurt. Religion is hurt by too much government interference. Government is hurt by too much religious religion pressure, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact... You know, I just started this job a year and a half ago, and when I did, I met with a, a guy who was a former Democratic state legislator in Oklahoma, and they had just defeated in, a, in the ballot a ballot initiative at that time in Oklahoma to keep the Ten Commandments off of state grounds. It's not what you would think, hmm. right? It's not. No. Now, later, legislatively, this didn't fare so well. But at the time, there was a ballot initiative, and I said to my friend, the former state legislator, how did that happen? How did that ha explain that to me? And he said, because here there was a real movement to keep the government from sullying religion. And so religious and devout people were actually leading the movement against the ballot initiative. Right, and it's the right. same thing if you think about this Bladensburg Cross case, which is this recent Supreme Court case that actually said for historic reasons the, the cross could stand, which we're not so happy about. It was the same reasoning that a lot of Christian groups used in a friend of the court brief that they submitted when they said, hey, wait a minute, 
like the, the cross is actually one of the most sacred symbols, maybe the most sacred symbol that we have in Christianity. And it stands for those who believe that Jesus Christ died for us all and that those who are believers will go to heaven, etc. And I don't like, said these group of Christian groups, the cross being used by the government for a different purpose that is actually desacralizing what the cross is about. So these are some of the religious resistance points against entangling the church and the state. Uh, I want to get to the Supreme Court and some of their decisions yeah. a little bit later, but since you raised the Bladensburg case, just so um, all of our listeners understand, this is a case decided just a month a or so ago, ago, a few weeks ago, yeah. by a 7-2 decision by the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. This 40-foot high big cross in Bladensburg, Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C., which is on public land and which the maintenance of which is paid for by public tax dollars yep. for this, no doubt about it, religious symbol. Yeah. Yeah. No, very, for, for me, um, as the leader of Americans United and as a Jewish person, a very upsetting decision. In 1985, when the government decided to dedicate that cross to all war veterans, you know, that cross doesn't stand for my great uncle who's still alive, Alan Kleinman, who fought in World War II. And, you know, he gets to be honored as well by the government, but a cross isn't what honors him, you know? And I think this notion that you can somehow be a bystander and, oh yeah, reasonable people would think that that just stands for death is thinking about one type of person being that innocent bystander and failing to see the perspective of the religious minorities in this country. Now, you mentioned Thomas Jefferson earlier. We think of Thomas Jefferson, too, and I know from my relationship over the years, and I'm a member of Americans United. That's wonderful. Proud member. Wonderful. Uh, I think it's so important. Is It was Thomas Jefferson who first used the phrase uh, separation, the wall of separation between mm -hmm. church and state. He did. Others point out it's not in the Constitution, therefore it does not exist. Yep. Neither is the term religious liberty. Neither is fair trial. Um, there are a lot of things that aren't, you know, I recently had um, a guest at a speaking obligation say to me, why don't you just point out to those group of Christians that are telling you it's not in the in the Constitution, and so it doesn't exist, that neither is Holy Trinity in the Bible. Um, you know, so, I mean, there are lots of rejoinders to that, but what the founders did is they baked that concept right into the First Amendment because the principles that they were standing for were keeping religion and government separate in order to guarantee religious freedom for all. And you referenced how Thomas Jefferson invoked that term, and he did so in on January 1st, 1802, in a letter to the Danbury, Connecticut Baptist Association. So very early on, he was, and Madison actually used a similar metaphor. He talked about, quote, the lines of separation. So this understanding of what the founders were trying to establish in America was alive and well. Right. So what about some of the most flagrant uh, abuses, maybe, of the wall of separation? Congress still starts every day, its session every day, with a prayer. Why are there From chaplains in Congress anyway? Is the title of an op-ed that I wrote for the Washington Post sh shortly after I started this position. Um, you know, it's a really good question. It has been found to be legal 
by the Supreme Court, you know, in our in the courts in our country. But if you think about it, every single chaplain in Congress has been Christian um, ever since the beginning. And so what does that mean in terms of being truly inclusive? You know, it doesn't seem to match the principles of separating religion and government. But yet there is this argument that because history is a certain way that we need to continue to leave things alone. That's a similar argument as was used in this Bladensburg cross case by the Supreme Court majority. That's a very upsetting argument if you think about taking it to its logical extreme. What does that mean for racism? So you would um, end the practice of uh, having a chaplain open session of Congress with, with a prayer? I would not be in favor of having a chaplain in Congress. I don't think it's necessary. How about having the words under God in the uh, Pledge of Allegiance? You know, it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. A lot of people feel really strongly about it. I think it's really important to know that it was added in the 1950s. 50s. <laughs> right, exactly. In an era of McCarthyism where there was a backlash in this country against, you know, like this idea that there were liberals and socialists sort of taking over in the country. So that was the same time when um, it was also added to our money. Um, so this hasn't always existed in our country, um, but yet it's, it's there now. And we did reference the Supreme Court because so many of these cases make their way up to the Supreme Court. It was a couple of years ago that we had the famous Hobby Lobby case. Yes, we did. How do you see where the court ruled that Hobby Lobby can deny um, coverage in their health in their health policies to their employees mm -hmm. for reproductive rights and right. for contraception right. because of their religious beliefs? What's that decision say to you? Well, I mean, for one, I find it odd and offensive to think of a corporation having a religious identity in the first place. Of course, this is a closely held corporation. What's most upsetting about it for me, it was it was an interpretation of our highest religious freedom law in our land, which is called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, that allowed it to be used to cause harm to other people as a justification to cause harm to all the women who now weren't going to be able to access affordable birth control. And in the end, that is a violation in our view of the Establishment Clause. So to us, it's very clear from another line of Supreme Court cases called Calder and Cutter that the Supreme Court has said, you aren't allowed to use your religious freedom to cause harm to someone else. Because when you're doing that, if you think about it, if I'm making you bear the cost of my religious free exercise and the government's approving of that, and the government's involved in that, the government is putting my religious beliefs over yours, or at least making you underwrite my religious beliefs because you're bearing the cost. And that's what the court did in Hobby Lobby. Specifically, it interpreted the test in the Religious Freedom Restoration Act in a very sort of weak, permissive way to allow basically anyone's sincerely held religious belief to count as a substantial burden on their religious belief just because they have one. And they also had a very um, narrow uh, interpretation of what it means for the government to, to be narrowly tailored um, in their way of implementing their 
their compelling interest, which I know is getting very legal. Forgive me, forgive me. But is, isn't this like the latest in um, attempts that go back decades of centuries, I guess, in this country, of people using their religious beliefs as a mask for discrimination? Well, it's really interesting that you raise that because I recently attended a symposium at the museum's Religious Freedom Center that was about the history of the misuse of religious freedom to promote racism. And there were scholars there who were even asking whether the idea of religious freedom can exist in this country apart from that misuse. Um, I did some research myself, and it is devastating to see over time the misuse of religious freedom to advance racism in particular mm -hmm. in, for example, Loving versus Virginia, which is the anti-miscegenation case that um, about blacks and whites being able to intermarry. The trial judge sentenced the interracial couple who got married and he reasoned that, quote, Almighty God created the races white, black, yellow, Malay, and red, and he placed them on separate continents. The fact that he separated the races shows that he did not intend for the races to mix. And that's sort of the racism issue, but even for sexist purposes. So shortly after the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was passed in 1993, there were commercial landlords who were arguing that they couldn't rent to, um, to unmarried couples because that violated their religious beliefs. And there were also Christian schools who were arguing that they had to pay married men greater salaries and benefits than, than similarly situated women because God intended for that to be the natural order in the household. So there's a long history of the misuse of religious freedom. You mentioned the Religious Freedom, freedom Restoration, Restoration Act, Act and how it was misapplied or misinterpreted in Hobby Lobby. Mm -hmm. um, my understanding is that there's an attempt to fix that this year with the Do, Do no. no Harm Act That's right. uh, by Congressman Joseph Kennedy. You testified a couple of weeks That's ago true. in support of that legislation. What would it do? That's true. It would restore the Religious Freedom Restoration Act to its original intent and prevent the use of religious freedom to cause harm. So it would allow the sick service member to still wear his um, turban, you know, when he's serving in the military, but it would not allow someone to get around healthcare protections, civil rights protections, or even for a government service like a foster care agency that's government funded to be able to deny children loving homes because a parent is the wrong religion. Uh, and that legislation is making its way through Congress. It's the Bill Press Pod, and we're brought to you today by the good members of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the UFCW, under the leadership of President Mark Perrone. They are the people who feed, provide for, and serve all of America's working families. Uh, they're great retail clerks at the uh, big grocery stores, retail commercial grocery stores across the country, like Giant and Safeway and Stop and Shop and all the rest. Uh, we depend on them. They never let us down and they greet us with a smile. The mem members of the UFCW, thank you for supporting the podcast, and we direct you to their website to learn more about their great work at ufcw.org. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. 
Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. And we're back with today's Bill Press Pod, speaking with Rachel Lazar, who's the president and CEO of Americans United, Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Uh, Rachel, I'd like to ask you about something people ask me about all the time. Um, you called them on the cover of your most recent um, magazine, uh, most recent edition of your magazine of AU, The Magnificent Seven. These are the evangelical leaders in this country who, come hell or high water, support Donald Trump. Uh, and they're led, of course, by Jerry Falwell Jr., James Dobson, Tony Perkins, Ralph Reed, who the other three are. I mean, the question really is, as Christian leaders, how can they support uh a self-professed adulterer and serial sexual predator like Donald Trump? Because, well, I can't really answer that, but I can tell you why I think they do, which is because they think that they're getting what they want in Supreme Court justices and in intervening with women's reproductive freedom and turning back the clock on LGBTQ equality through things like the denial of care rule that was just issued by this administration that gives any healthcare provider, any insurance company, and anyone working within the healthcare system from the orderly to a scheduler to a janitor, the right to refuse services, even emergency care to people based on their religious or moral beliefs. Things like that policy stand in the way. They particularly hurt religious minorities, the non-religious, LGBTQ people, and women. And, and this community of the the seven that you refer to, and frankly, this 
this narrow sort of white evangelical community in America is holding, grasping onto white Christian power right now in America. Really, it's a scary time. There is a time of change afoot, and I just want to acknowledge that. It's scary to live through change. So starting in 2014, this country ceased to be majority white and Christian. That's already over, Mm. starting Mm -hmm. in 2014. That's a big deal, right, given that white Christians built the edifices of this country, period, the end. They did. It doesn't mean we're a Judeo-Christian nation, but that that's who was here and that's who was the majority. Starting in 2046, we're going to be majority black and brown in this country. So you think part of their effort is really to maintain that superiority or the power of the white Christian Privilege? I do. Privilege. I do. I do. And I think that it's a scary time for that. We had our first black president. We've had sent over 100 women to Congress. Things are changing in this country. And a lot of people are struggling, you know, financially. The class divides in this country are becoming greater. A lot of people are hurting, you know, in this country. And I think that there's a grasping for privilege and power. But it does raise the question. Look, I'm a Christian. I was raised a Christian. Uh, with knowing solid Christian values that I learned from my family Mm -hmm. and everything that I believe that Christianity stands for, Donald Trump is the exact opposite of all of it. And yet you have these lead, the leading Christian uh, ministers, if you will, in this country supporting him. I mean, Jerry Falwell said, Jerry Falwell Jr. Mm -hmm. said the other day uh, that all Christians All Christians should support Donald Trump. Quote, he even said, it may be immoral for them not to support Donald Trump because he's got African-American employment to record highs, Hispanic employment to record highs. They need to look at what he's done for the poor. He's telling us it's immoral not to be a Trumper. How does that make you feel as a Christian? Yeah, it makes me feel. What's it all about, right? And yeah. a, and a it lot makes of me people, feel like he, makes me feel like he's a phony Christian. And a lot of Christians feel like that. Conservative and liberal Christians feel like that. I've heard that from a lot of Christians in this country. Um, but in the end, he said, uh, President Trump said at a state dinner that he held last summer at the White House for the evangelical community, "quote The support you've given me has been incredible, but I really don't feel guilty because." I have given you a lot back, just about everything I promised. And as one of our great pastors just said, actually, you've given us much more, sir, than you've promised. And I think that's true in many respects. And in fact, Johnny Moore, who's on his Evangelical Advisory Council, and by the way, President Obama had a faith advisory council with people of many different faiths and even people of no faith. But President Trump only has an Evangelical Advisory Council We've asked under federal transparency laws to learn more about it, haven't heard boo. We've asked under FOIA, Freedom of Information Act request, to understand what they're doing. They're not being transparent. But Johnny Moore bragged in an op-ed that he wrote for the Religion News Service in 2017, quote, you only make a difference if you have a seat at the table. There is a long list of progress we've made with this administration because we took our seat at that table. We've provided consequential feedback on policy and personnel decisions, particularly affecting 
religious liberty, judges, the right to life, and foreign policy. We are also actively at work on issues like criminal justice reform. And when we've disagreed, we've had every opportunity to express our point of view. This is unprecedented access by one religious community to the White House. Right. But what Donald Trump said is, I think, correct. Uh, I recently had dinner with a Republican strategist friend of mine who is no Trumper, she, uh, but she told me in the end she voted for Donald Trump, held her nose, voted for Donald Trump because he promised to put conservatives, religious conservatives, on the Supreme Court, and she said and he he's delivered. delivered. Right, right. And again, and that's what, what it's all about for them, you're that's saying. That's right. That, I think Supreme that, Court, gay marriage, abortion, LGBTQ rights. The Muslim ban, narrowing the space for religious diversity in America. I mean, keeping them, you know, even a lot of the immigration policies are really about sort of maintaining a white America. And again, I'm not saying that everyone in that community is racist. I'm really not. But I'm saying that there is a fragility and a fear around the changing demographics in this country and, you know, the burgeoning of and flowering of religious and other forms of diversity that our country was intentionally set up to do that is engendering a backlash in that community towards all the progress that we've made. Uh, and these leaders, again, you call them the Magnificent Seven. I don't like that word, magnificent. I understand why, what it <laughs> refers to. But, but um, they are really fully immersed in the political process endorsing candidates, telling people you have to vote for candidates, it's immoral if you don't. How can they maintain any tax-exempt status as churches or religions if they're with both feet in politics? Well, I mean, churches aren't allowed to do that. Of course, they're trying to change that for electoral reasons. But it's it's called the Johnson Amendment, and it's a provision that's been in place for a very long time that prevents all nonprofits, that includes houses of worship, from being able to politic, so from being able to endorse or oppose any can, any political candidate. And Trump, when he was campaigning, said he wanted to destroy that, you know, and he's been trying ever since. And frankly, we've succeeded. We have garnered unbelievable support from a hugely broad religious community, from the Catholics to mainline Protestants to Jews and, and Muslims and, and Buddhists who've all signed on to letters to Capitol Hill urging members of Congress to please leave the Johnson Amendment intact for the purpose of protecting the integrity of our houses of, of worship, you know, and, and that's, we've succeeded so far. But so they violate it every day in practice and get away with it because there's no enforcement? Well, there's terrible enforcement. There's terrible enforcement. That's right, you know, that's right. And there has been really for a very long time. Um, and, you know, this is something that we battle all the time. I mean, we have at Americans United a pre-litigation department where we get in, you know, over a thousand letters every year complaining from people like hopefully our listeners, you can send us them out in the field who say, hey, this happened in this church or this is happening in this federal or in this uh, local police station or, you know, and we, this is happening in this school, you know, and we write and we actually prevent a lot of these things from going forward because there is a set of these folks who don't realize that they're in violation of the law and who respond positively. Do you think people like Jerry Falwell Jr. and Tony Perkins could do any long-term damage to Christianity? 
by just by holding such views and supporting someone who is so clearly, I'd say, anti-unchristian, maybe. You know, I think absolutely. I mean, I think there's there's an author Kinnaman who wrote a book called Unchristian, and one of the problems that he points to is the problem of of the way younger evangelical Christians are perceiving the way their their religion responds to LGBTQ people. Um, I actually think that this quote, Magnificent Seven, and mm -hmm. folks like them, and they call them the religious right, are, are putting a stain on religion writ large. I had a group of Stanford students come visit me on their spring break, and I did a mini focus group with them, and I said, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of religious freedom? First word out of one of their mouths was anti-homosexuality, anti-gay, and the rest of those students agreed. So if that's what people today are associating with even religious freedom, we are jeopardizing our democracy, which is why one of the priorities right now of Americans United is to organize young people and to make sure that we're reaching younger people and making them aware of the importance of religious freedom and also connecting the idea of church-state separation to so many issues that they care about, but they don't realize are integrally related, like LGBTQ equality, like fighting racism, like, like abortion rights and reproductive freedom, right? And we feel like it's critical to reach that next generation of leaders to make sure that they are preserving this fundamental tenet of our democracy because there's such an effort right now by folks like the seven to misconstrue the idea of religious liberty. So that's a good a good moment for you to and I'm give you the opportunity for to people who want to get involved and people who really are concerned about this issue uh, and concerned about their faith and they're seeing their faith being eroded by some of these faithless leaders. Um, Americans United, how do they reach you? What's the best way to get in touch? What's the best way to get involved? Thanks for letting me do the plug. Um, <laughs> they should go to au.org or follow us on any social media channel, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Americans United. And we are growing this movement. It's becoming more and more powerful every day. And it's coming up in presidential debates now, the idea of church-state separation. It's on people's minds. Now is the time to get active and to fight for church-state separation, like our democracy depends on it, because it does. Uh, and just that, to, so that we're not accused of throwing religion overboard, um, I want to close by asking you to respond to something that uh, Senator Chris Coons, um, Senator from Delaware, mm -hmm. said the other day uh, about why Democrats need to talk about religion uh, and, and, and should. He says it's because, quote, America's still an overwhelming religious country, and the Democratic Party, too, remains a coalition of people of faith. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree, agree? with I, Absolutely. I think it's super important. I mean, we absolutely have a growing population of people called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, who identify with no specific religion. But at the same time, we are a deeply religious country. And here's the thing. We are deeply religious because our government doesn't 
support one religion over any others. There have been folks like Fukuyama at Stanford who have studied the religiosity of countries and who've actually seen that countries that have an official church tend to have a less religious population than countries like ours that have no official church in the state. So it is 70% of Americans identify as Christian. You know, so if you want to reach the country, you better honor and respect people for being Christians, for believing whatever it is that they believe and not disparage that, whether or not you yourself are a believer. And with that, uh, Rachel Lazar, Lazar, thanks so much for joining us. America, it's Americans United, AU.org. Thank you. And that's it for today's edition of the Bill Press Pod. Thanks so much for joining us. And don't forget, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you turn for your favorite podcast. Tell your friends, and if you like what you heard, please, please help us spread the word by leaving a five-star review. Again, many thanks to you and Rachel Lazar of Americans United. We'll see you in the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Thank you.